Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Superhumanize podcast. I am sitting here with a huge smile on my face because I'm getting to do one of my favorite things, which is learning about thriving and optimizing our human experience and sharing it all with you, my dear superhumans. And today we're going to talk about something that's absolutely fundamental because it all begins with the microbiome. The gut comprises 70% of our immune system, and this ecosystem of bacteria, viruses, and fungi influences all aspects of health, from our hormone levels to immunity, to our weight and mood, as well as brain health. So much so that today's guest, Dr. Will Bolsovitz, says, your brain's best friend is your gut. You can't separate the two. If you have an unhealthy gut, it's going to affect your brain. Dr. B, as he's affectionately known, is a board-certified and award-winning gastroenterologist and a leading voice in gut health. He's a graduate of Georgetown School of Medicine, a former chief medical resident at Northwestern Memorial Hospital, and chief gastroenterology fellow at the University of North Carolina Hospitals. Will received his Master of Science in Clinical Investigation from Northwestern University and a Certificate in Nutrition from Cornell University. He has published over 20 articles in renowned gastroenterology journals and his New York Times bestselling book, Fiber Fueled, the plant-based gut health program for losing weight, restoring your health, and optimizing your microbiome, is mandatory reading on why gut health is so fundamental and how to enhance it to avoid disease and optimize your well-being. In his new book, The Fiber-Fueled Cookbook, Dr. B shares incredibly delicious recipes and practical, easy-to-implement gut health-promoting tips, tools, and strategies. Will combines his 14 years as an MD with the latest cutting-edge medical research and has helped thousands of people create incredible results in their health and well-being by teaching them how to take better care of their gut health with the power of plants, supporting them in easing and even reversing symptoms of IBS, leaky gut, and other digestive issues by going to the root cause of the problem, fixing it, and finding out how to prevent it in the first place. And today, he shares with us how we can take back control of the way we eat, look, and feel, and how to achieve optimal health, mental agility, and happiness with plant-based foods and easy lifestyle shifts. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Dr. B, thank you so much for making time today and joining us on the Superhumanized podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Ariana. 
It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Me too. I'm super excited to talk to a fellow vegan. I'm super excited to talk to you because you're an absolute expert with regards to GI health and your approach is a fantastic mix of cutting edge science and common sense. <laughs> and so many people are suffering with GI issues and it really is foundational for our health and well-being. Something that I really loved is I saw that you have a t-shirt that says, eat plants, take epic dumps. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Why can we only have really good bowel movement when we eat a plant-based diet? First of all, this is the best way for us to start an interview because we yes. just kind of jump right <laughs> in and to the listener, it may be shock and awe, but <laughs> at least to me, this is literally what I've spent my time doing for a long time now. So I'm excessively comfortable talking about bowel movements in this topic. So eat plants, take epic dumps. Look, I just, let's keep it real for a moment. A good, healthy bowel movement absolutely is one of life's great pleasures. Yes. And it should be a regular part of our day. It should be, if not every day, with some regularity, we should be experiencing this effortless release. and there's like a sense of satisfaction that comes from this. There's even a little bit of a sense of euphoria that comes from this. So this was intended to be something that we enjoy as humans. That's why that pleasure feeling exists. And the problem is that I feel like we're facing an epidemic of particularly constipation, mm -hmm. but at a rhythm, at, at a minimum, we are out of rhythm as a society. And when we're in rhythm, there is no effort. There is no trying to engineer or manually make something manifest, but instead things are just happening on their own without us asking them to. And in a way that, Hey, we have no complaints there. That's perfect. Why is this the case? Why are we facing this epidemic of bowel dysrhythmia where we're having constipation or diarrhea and constipation? I think it comes back to the microbiome living inside of us are 38 trillion microbes and they are as alive as you and I are. And we, you and I, we were raised at a period of time. We look in the mirror, like so many other humans through human history, we look in the mirror and you see an individual and this is a recent change, but it's time for us to start seeing that we are an individual that is basically the home to all of these invisible microbes. And they are integrated with so much of our physiology and the way that we work. And that includes our digestion and our digestive rhythm. So when they're in a good place, we manifest epic dumps. And when they are frustrated or not getting what they need or injured, then we fall out of rhythm and we fall out of rhythm because we actually rely on them to help us to maintain that perfect rhythm. And so I, I actually believe that our bowel movements, we, this is a unique opportunity for us to learn about ourselves on a topic that most of us have ignored our entire life because we were told you're not allowed to go there. You're not allowed to talk about bowel movements. You're not allowed to look in the toilet bowl. And it may feel, we may feel a bit prude when we look in that toilet bowl. Ooh, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this, but Actually, to me, this is as important as any vital sign. This is a measure of your digestive health. And so learning to understand and interpret what's happening with your bowel movements 
is a window into what's happening with your body, what's happening with your gut microbiome. And that ultimately tracks back to so many parts of human health. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And I think it has been so damaging to us physically and psychologically that certain very natural, very necessary things about our biology have been pushed into a closet as a don't even look at it. This is, quote, nasty or horrible. And actually putting it into that closet is what makes our whole body often turn ill, turn sick. These types of, this type of censorship about where you're allowed to go or not extends to other areas of our lives as well whether it's the freedom to explore our body sexually, whether it's the freedom to explore our psyche. We could get into a whole rabbit hole about this. But what you just said, so obviously the microbiome affects our bowel movements. It affects much more than that as well. How can you give us an overview about what we should pay attention to with regards to bowel movements and what they tell us about our health. So when we do take a look in that toilet bowl, what are a few key things we ought to pay attention to? Okay. So if I were reading the tea leaves in terms of a person's bowel movement, I'll share some of the things that I would be looking at as a gastroenterologist. Mm -hmm. First of all, before we dive in here, recognize what is what makes up a bowel movement. And to most of us, we probably believe that our bowel movement is just excrement, like excrement of our food, mm -hmm. right? Food waste, the parts that our body doesn't absorb. And that's not actually true. In fact, the majority of the weight of your bowel movement, 60% of the weight of your bowel movement is actually coming from these microbes. What you are seeing is basically the turnover of your microbiome. Even if you didn't eat food, you would still poop. It might be far less frequent because your microbes would not be turning over as often if you don't feed them. But even if you didn't eat, we would still have bowel movements because we are constantly turning over our microbes. So when we think about our bowel movements, what I'm looking at is, first of all, I believe that our digestive health is in a good place when we are in a rhythm. And a rhythm means regularity. So that means that there is some particular pattern to how this is happening. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be every day. It also doesn't mean that once a day is the ideal number. In fact, for many people who eat a high fiber diet, two, three, four times a day may be their normal. But when we go, it should be the sensation of being complete. It should be effortless. It shouldn't be something that we are like working and pushing in order to get. And so when that is the case, we have that effortless, complete evacuation, and there's a sense of relief afterwards. That could be every other day. That could be five times a day. But either way, that is healthy. You look at the shape of the bowel movement. There's something called the Bristol stool scale. Now, I'm always amused because people are fascinated by this Bristol stool scale, which is something that I have used clinically for more than 10 years. Basically, it's seven pictures that allow you to identify a general pattern of what your bowel movements look like. And it could be anywhere from a type one, which is a hard, like hard ball, like a rock, that's constipation. Or it could be a type seven, which is there's no form, there's no shape, it's not even mush, it's just water, it's just liquid. And obviously that's diarrhea. 
And right smack dab in the middle is what we're looking for. A Bristol four is the ideal bowel movement. And essentially what it is, is it, it is sausage shaped. It is soft, but formed. And you can deviate slightly from this. It may be a little bit hard and bumpy. That's not anything to freak out about. If you had a good regular complete evacuation, you're still in a really good place. But it's important to understand what is central or what is identifiable as our standard healthy bowel movement, which is a sausage soft but formed bowel movement. And when we deviate either towards diarrhea or towards constipation, we're moving away from this. And so it's a really good thing to keep track of what's going on with your body. I'm very deep down the rabbit hole of biohacking. So things like looking at what ends up in my toilet bowl is totally normal for me. My fridge very often, multiple times a year has all kinds of samples that need to get shipped off <laughs> to some lab or the other to check on all kinds of different biomarkers. So I, I have no, no hangups at all with regard to this. And I wish it would become more normalized to talk about these things. It's so important. And I just mentioned it a few minutes ago, the, our gut impact so many different aspects of our well-being. You actually say that our gut impacts our mental agility and happiness. Can you please explain to our audience how our diet and gut microbes have the ability to affect our mood and our functioning, our brain functions? So first of all, it's important to understand that your diet impacts your gut microbes. It's not the only thing that impacts your gut microbes, but it's probably the most important thing. Mm -hmm. So the dietary choices that you make today will start to shape the gut microbes by tomorrow. That's mm -hmm. what the research suggests. And if you show me a person's diet, I can predict what their gut microbiome looks like. Mm -hmm. If you show me their gut microbiome, I can predict what their diet looks like. So we can't separate these things. Anytime we talk about diet, we're also talking about microbes and vice versa. And going back, you know, years a couple years ago, within the last 15 years, there's been the emergence of studies linking our diet to our mood. And the classic study, the first one that comes to mind is, and I'm fascinated by this person, Professor Felice Jacka. We actually follow each other on social media, and we may actually be doing some work together in the future. But anyway, she's in Australia. And she runs this institute called the Food and Mood Center. And they did a study called the SMILES trial. It's a great name. And effectively, what they did is they fed people a plant-predominant Mediterranean diet when they had mild to moderate depression mm -hmm. and discovered that these dietary differences, like when people change their diet to this plant-predominant, high-fiber, diverse uh, Mediterranean diet, that their mood improved, improved mild to moderate depression on a level that you might see with medication. That is exciting. Yes, very. That, that not only means that we're not entirely dependent on pharmaceuticals to treat our medical issues, but it also speaks to the role that diet and lifestyle may play in the manifestation of these conditions. Not to say that if you have one of these conditions that you're at fault. It's not the case. It's more so to say that 
Now we're starting to understand where this is coming from. And we can, when we understand it, then we can manipulate it. As I said before, diet and the microbiome, they're intertwined. You can't separate them. And so it's more recent and there's certainly a ton of opportunity for us to learn more about this. We're really just touching the tip of the iceberg in terms of exploring the connection between the microbiome and our mood. But increasingly in recent years, there's been research suggesting that the microbiome is connected to our mood. It really doesn't come as a huge surprise once we establish the diet has this connection. And so go ahead. Oh, no, please. The ways in which the microbiome is connected to our mood, there's many different elements to this. It's not fair to say that there's one specific thing, but it's more like there's different forms of communication that exist, right? So if you and I wanted to communicate with one another, we could send an email to one another. We could shoot a text message. We could jump on a call or we could be on Zoom. And these microbes in the same way, they have multiple different ways in which they're communicating with your brain literally right now. And some of those forms of communication can actually like support the health of your brain, make it stronger, lift your mood up. But on the flip side, maybe you wouldn't call this a form of communication. It's at least a connection that exists. Your gut microbes can also produce inflammation Mm -hmm. and inflammation can affect the body in a myriad of ways. It could affect your metabolism or your immune system. But in this case, what we're talking about is your the inflammation is affecting your mood. And so this is the unique thing that we've discovered when we look at the patterns of microbes that appear to be uh, present in people suffering with, for example, major depression, yeah. is that there will be the loss of the anti-inflammatory microbes, which are actually the microbes that help us to process fiber. Mm. And there will be an enhancement of the inflammatory microbes. And so it all starts to, we're filling in the pieces of a puzzle. And it feels like the diet and mood connection. So we established that, but did we really fully understand it? And now here we are filling in the puzzle and we're starting to understand that you eat a plant-predominant Mediterranean diet, it's high in fiber. The fiber actually enriches and supports the anti-inflammatory microbes. Mm-hmm. They grow stronger and then they release short-chain fatty acids, which we believe have protective effects throughout the body, but including brain health and potentially mood. And this is how you disrupt this sort of negative pattern or negative balance in the microbiome is if you change your diet to something that supports a healthier pattern in the microbiome, then the downstream effects may include lifting up your mood, or it may include lifting up other, you know, there's obviously other benefits to a Mediterranean diet. We could talk about metabolism or immune system or hormones, or you just go down the line. This is absolutely fascinating, Dr. B. And I know you are somebody who constantly keeps learning and you're taking deep dives into most research, what's happening. Can you maybe share with us what excites you most about the cutting edge scientific breakthroughs that are changing the way we see the gut medicine as a whole today? Can you tell us more about the current state of science with regards to gut health? One of the things that I'm really excited about, I would say the thing that I'm the most excited about is that I have a growing role 
in a company called Zoe that is the world leader on personalized nutrition. And the idea, the concept of personalized nutrition, we all know, every single one of us knows that there is no one size fits all. It's so obvious. <laughs> and we apply these sort of general labels to diets. You could call them plant-based or keto or paleo or whatever you decide to call it. But even within that, they're not the same thing. And so as we're navigating our life and trying to make decisions about what are the right choices for us, there are questions like, how do we do that? And what we are discovering, this is not a huge surprise, is that it's the gut microbiome, which is really, truly the most personal part of who you are, which is crazy because it's not even technically a part of your body. Uh, these are a community of microorganisms that are separate from your body, but you are their home. Mm -hmm. And they are very distinct to you. They create your many things that are unique to you, including, like for example, they contribute to your taste buds, your smell. There's the suggestion that our pheromones may come from these microbes. There's so much that you could dive into that's quite fascinating with these microbes, but they, because they're so unique, there's literally, there's no one on the planet with a gut microbiome quite like yours. And there's 8 billion people, yet there's no matching pair. And because they're so unique, it really suggests that our diet should be matched to the unique nature of these microbes. 100%. And can you tell us a little bit more about the company you're speaking about, Zoe? Yeah. So basically, we are, we are in the process. Already, we are able to offer people personalized dietary recommendations grounded in science, published in like literally the top journals on the planet that allow them to understand their own unique biology and how to make cho choices that are distinct to them using their microbiome. So the origins of Zoe, actually this predates my sort of relationship with them. They started back in 2017. No one knew that they existed because for three years they were running clinical trials mm -hmm. and they started to publish their data in 2020. And that's when I found out that they existed because I was like, oh, wow, look at this. <laughs> this is a complete game changer. This is the new era of nutrition. No longer are we just making general recommendations based upon what's good for the average person. Now we're saying, Adriana, like for you specifically with your gut microbiome, here are the foods that seem to really work best. And here are the ones that it's not that you eliminate them, but here are the ones that you might want to just be more moderate with your consumption. Mm -hmm. So basically what we do is we use a combination of a person's gut microbiome. So they send in a poop specimen. Mm -hmm. They wear a continuous glucose monitor, which is measuring their blood sugar around the clock for about one to two weeks. And they submit a blood lipid specimen and using their phone, they enter in, into an app what they're eating. So we can take this information from the app and combine it with all these other mm -hmm. sources of information. And we put it into one massive giant database. And if we had 10 people, it would be completely worthless, but we have over 20,000 people and growing. And that allows these supercomputers to run complex machine learning algorithms where what happens is like, it will take all this information and then it will identify patterns that are applied to you, the individual based upon your microbiome. And then you implement that in your life. And the beauty of it is 
You don't count calories. You don't restrict. You don't eliminate. You just quite simply level up in terms of your choices. Mm -hmm. And it allows you to keep a very open diet where you are like eating until you're full, but you're eating the foods that are most aligned with your biology and you accomplish your health goals in the process of doing that. That makes total sense. And it's really a blessing that we're living in a time where we have the technology that can help us with that. Can you tell me a little bit more about the process? Number one, I'd like to learn. So when people send in a fecal sample, will they also get the information of which parts of their microbiome may be out of balance when there's too much or too little of this? And also, what is the cost? Yeah. the One of the things that's exciting about this is that this is made possible by like literally the modern era, 2022. Mm -hmm. Because if you tried to do this 10 years ago, it would be way too expensive. There's no way that using the techniques and technologies that we do that you'd be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And the other issue is we need computers strong enough. The computers from 10 years ago wouldn't be able to handle this. But by each of us chipping in, the concept is what I would describe as citizen science which is that our government is not going to fund this study. Um, a pharmaceutical industry, like they're not going to fund nutrition-based studies because that undermines their ability to sell their drugs. Yeah. So to get this type of thing done, it has to be us collectively. And when we each chip in, we're chipping in not only our data, which means like our stool, our glucose monitor, our food data, we're not only chipping in that, but we're also chipping in some of the money that basically funds the study. So this is what citizen science is. It's not just a bunch of scientists. We're all part of this team that facilitates us learning together. And so how, do, so how does it work? How do you do it? Basically, you would receive a kit through the mail. The cost, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit hard for me to like say, hey, it's this much because it does shift from time to time. It's on the order of a few hundred dollars, but not, it's not $500. So it's always less than that. And, and by the way, if people want to do this, you can actually save money by coming either to my website and getting my code mm -hmm. or going to joinzoe.com slash Dr. B, and that will save you 10%. So for what that's worth. Excellent. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Anyway. You receive a kit and the kit will walk you through the process step-by-step step of how you go about doing it. And it typically will start with you will go to the bathroom, have a number two. It's actually incredibly easy to collect this information. It's not that nasty or complicated. And you get that, you wear the continuous glucose monitor. We have these muffins that people eat that are designed where that way we can compare my results to your results. So we're eating the same thing on specific days. And that's part of the process. Now, one thing I will say, and people need to know this, um, the muffins are not fully vegan. So for people from an ethical perspective who are vegan, that would not be willing to do that. We are, we have been working hard for literally two years to develop a, a vegan option. It sounds super easy. Like, why don't you just make a vegan option? But the problem is that we've been running clinical trials since 2017, and it needs to match so perfectly that it doesn't negatively affect our data so that we can continue to 
mature and move forward with what we got. Anyway, I want people to know that we do care about being as inclusive as possible. And we're developing that. Anyway, you would eat these muffins and it, you would notice because you could actually look at your blood sugar response. Part of the experience is to see how different foods, whether it be these muffins or like literally just experimenting on yourself with what you normally eat, you would see what your blood sugar is doing in response to these different foods. And in addition to you paying attention to this, ultimately this comes back to us and we collect all this data and then we allow the computers to work their magic on it. And what then you receive is you receive, first of all, a report. So the report comes back and it explains to you how your blood sugar response is working. This is like a measure of your metabolism. How your blood lipid response is working. Again, this is a measure of metabolism. And then what is the state of your gut microbiome, which we measure in a number of different ways. And that all gets unpacked through the documents that that you, that get shared with you so that the documents don't just give you numbers or something like that, but actually are trying to explain everything so that you can take it in and really get where things are at. And we also have health coaches that are happy to run through this with you. So they'll run through your results that help you understand. So once you have that, okay, this is where I am now. But we're not stuck. We have the ability to change and to adapt and to grow. And that's the next phase, which is that let's show you specifically what foods are best for your biology. So in the app, you now will see a score for every single food. And you will have lists of foods. For example, here are your ideal gut boosters. And here are the gut suppressors, the ones that you, like if you want a healthy gut, you really shouldn't be leaning too hard into these. Or here are the healthiest sources of protein. And you go down the line. And so the point is that this app helps to bring clarity to your personal response to individual foods. And then you can, there's many different ways that you can interact with the app. It can provide you with recipes. Those recipes have a score. You can cook and enter into the app what you're eating. And then the app will assign a score to what you just ate so that you know where things stand. So it helps you to have a more mature understanding of how these individual foods are affecting your unique biology. Excellent. I love that you're working on developing vegan muffins. And thank you for explaining why that is not super simple to do. Makes a lot of sense. You yourself are vegan. You wrote the best-selling book, Fiber Fueled. You now have the Fiber Fueled cookbook out. And when I researched you and learned about you, I actually read that your wife was a very important part of your own personal transformation going vegan. Can you let us know a little bit about your background and your health journey? I think one of the things that I've learned through the years is that sometimes that moment where you feel like you are being cursed, mm -hmm. years later, you look back and you realize that you were blessed. And if you go back 10 years ago, I was miserable and I was suffering with health issues. I was in my early 30s. I was 50 pounds overweight. I had high blood pressure. I had high cholesterol, tons of anxiety, extremely low self-esteem, even though my career was taking off. I had extremely low self-esteem. And honestly, I was depressed. I honestly, I just wanted to roll up under a blanket in a dark room and be left alone. That's where I was at. And so 
I knew that something to change. And I couldn't connect the dots on where my issue was coming from, which is shocking. I'm, at this point in my life, like I am a board certified internal medicine doctor and I'm in my specialty training to become a gastroenterologist. Mm-hmm. So I tried exercising my way out of it. It failed. It did not work. Uh, and I tried really hard, but the idea was if you work out enough, it doesn't matter what you eat. And as a point of reference, just so people understand like where I was at and where I come from, my diet was probably 5% plant-based mm-hmm. and French fries were the number one plant <laughs> like by far. And then potato chips were number two. Mm. So yeah, I had a preference for fast food and convenience food went all the way back to my childhood. But as I went through my medical training and was exposed to a hyper rigorous work environment, those bad habits, they were way too perfect as a fit in my life. They were eating junk food and fast food. It was cheap. I had no money. It was cheap. It was quick. It was easy. And it tasted good. Everything that I wanted. And it's not like I sat there and thought, oh, this food is good for me. But I just thought I was invincible and it wouldn't catch up to me. And it did. And So I was trying to figure out a solution to this because the exercise thing wasn't working. And uh, I ended up on a date with the person who's now my wife, but like literally we're on a first date. I I have no clue where this is going. This could be the end of it, but turns out here we are 10 years later and we have three kids together. And I look across at this person and uh, we're like in a like classic meat restaurant and I'm getting a pork chop and she doesn't order off the menu. She actually ordered a bunch of sides. Like she says to the waiter, can you just put together some collards, some black eyed peas and some mashed potatoes? And so just, huh, who are you? (laughs) I had never been around anyone like this in my life. I honestly didn't know a single person who was either vegan or vegetarian, nor did I really truly understand the difference between those two words. And, but I made the observation. I'm on the date with this person and I see, and I'm like, interesting. She cleans her plate. She raves about how good the food was. She loved her dish just as much as me. She looks amazing. Her health appears to be effortless. And when we're done with dinner, she's ready to keep going on the date. And I have not had any alcohol, but I'm hungover, and I feel like I need to go home. And so this was enough for me to ask the question, maybe the food that I love, the food that frankly, I've been eating since I was a kid that was celebrated in my home. Maybe this is the source of my health issues. And so one day I did something that was radical for me. This was not at the urging of of this person. Like we're just going on dates. She doesn't know that any of these things are happening behind the scenes. But one day I did something radical for me, which was rather than going to Hardee's and getting fast food for dinner, I went home and I pulled out the blender And I filled it up with stuff and I pressed the button and it made 30 something ounces of smoothie and I drank it and it felt like electricity was running through my body. Like this was something that I needed and had not had. And I was energized. I instantly felt better and I went to the gym and I smashed a fantastic workout. And ultimately, I think for people who have been sick, they can relate to this. When you don't feel well, you just want to feel better. And I felt so much better in that moment 
that it was enough for me to say, I want more of that. And so I came back the next day and I did it again. And then I did it again. Then I did it again. And then I switched out the high fat cream in my coffee and the Splenda, you know, mm. and I started drinking it black. And then I switched, got rid of the soda, started drinking kombucha or water. And one small choice starts to benefit, which leads to more small choices. And it takes off and becomes this thing. And next thing, my body is changing. That's wonderful. I love this story, Dr. B, how love changes everything. (laughs) And it put you on this journey where you are now a healer who heals others through this experience that was inspired by love. If we look at the average person in the United States, I read that the diet of an average person in the U.S. consists of about, I think, 60% processed food, 30% meat, dairy, eggs, and maybe 10% actual vegetables and fruit, other plants. How can somebody, even if you want something in your mind and it's the right thing to do, it can be very tough to change. I personally am a big fan of small steps because it's not overwhelming psychologically and it doesn't overwhelm your body, especially if you start to put a lot of cleansing, detoxifying foods into your body. All of a sudden, you could get a little bit of a detox reaction. But that aside, when you deal with patients who come in and they have this kind of an average person in the US type of diet, What are the first few steps that you advise them to go through in order to get this process started? I think before you even begin, part of this is establishing a framework for how we're going to roll. So Mm -hmm. this is where, from my perspective, number one, we have to meet people where they are. This is the personal element of providing that guidance. Like We can't just say, oh, there's this rule that applies to every single human. Just do this. Like we have to find a way to connect with the individual and acknowledge that they're unique and they have their own unique needs. Let's start there. And the second part is let's create realistic expectations for ourselves. Because when we have unmet expectations, this leads to disappointment and disappointment is an aversion to us ultimately accomplishing what we want. So instead, let's establish expectations that allow us to accomplish what we want and then to accomplish a new goal. And keep, like you said, small goals, keep leveling up because these small goals, they are progress and progress is momentum Mm -hmm. and momentum can build into something massive and life-changing. And it's not an overnight thing and it never will be an overnight thing. It always is going to be something that's going to take time. So as we enter into this, don't expect perfection because perfect doesn't exist. No one is perfect. Instead, set an expectation of the goal here is progress. And no matter what that looks like for you, no matter how slow, if you're putting in the effort, if you're making progress, you are a winner. You are moving in the right direction and I celebrate you, right? So you just mentioned the average American is 10% plant-based. I was 5% plant-based. So there is no shame there. Don't feel bad about this. And don't apply how I currently eat to where you currently are. First of all, I'm not asking you to eat the way that I eat. You have to find what works for you. Second of all, it took me a very long time to get to where I'm at. So you need to give yourself the same opportunity. So with that in mind, 
ultimately what we want is we want to move towards more plants. This is where the opportunity exists. If we're only 10% plant-based, any movement of the needle towards more plants, what happens is that we are now fueling our gut microbiome with this preferred food, which is fiber. Dietary fiber is unique because we as humans lack the enzymes to process and digest it. So the fiber will actually survive all of digestion through the small intestine, which is 15 feet long. It will survive and it will land in the colon. And that is where your gut microbes live and they will flourish. They will get into a feeding frenzy and consume this dietary fiber. This is their food. And much like you and I, when we have a good meal, we are energized. We are stronger. We are more capable. Same goes for them. When we feed them, they grow stronger, they become more capable, and they turn around and they reward us. Yes. We've already mentioned this, but now we're going to be even more clear on this. The gut microbes, they transform the fiber. It stops being fiber. And they release the most anti-inflammatory molecule that I have come across or molecules that I've come across in my 20 years of study in medicine the short-chain fatty acids. These short-chain fatty acids we mentioned before as having healing anti-inflammatory effects for mood, for the brain, but they have the same healing anti-inflammatory effects in your gut, in your digestive system, for your metabolism, for your immune system, for your hormones. It's They are extremely powerful. Yes. And unfortunately, they are missing mm-hmm. for most Americans right now. Yes. This and I can- Health issues. I can personally, from my personal story, corroborate what you're saying. I switched from a pretty, not pretty, from a very heavily meat and dairy laden diet to a vegetarian one 15 years ago in 2007. And then a couple of years later, it just evolved into eating vegan or mainly vegan. My personal philosophy is VAP as vegan as possible. So what that means for me is my diet is probably 95 to 97% plant-based. I'll make exceptions for honey. I probably have fish three, four times a year. I may have cheese maybe once every two years. (laughs) That's what's been working really well for me. My biomarkers, all my blood work has never been better. I used to have a lot of smaller and also bigger issues back in the day, whether it was inflammation, whether it was eczema, whether it was acne, mood swings, depression. I thought all of that would be was normal, just a part of life. And I realized once I switched my diet, wow, I don't have this anymore. I used to have this and it's completely gone. Now for people who are just wrapping their minds around the concept of a vegan or a plant-based diet, slight differences there. Many of them worry, can I actually get all the nutrients out of this diet? So you and I know yes, it's absolutely possible. You can thrive, not only survive on it, but can you speak to those people who carry that worry? It's interesting, at least from my perspective, how we normalize things that are very abnormal mm-hmm. in the sense that look at how sick our country is Yes, on our current diet. Mm-hmm. No one in their right mind would believe that our current diet is healthy, mm-hmm. yet we get apprehensive to shift towards a diet that is predominantly plants because somehow we're fearful 
of narratives that exist on the internet. And they're unfortunately very much narrative based. Mm-hmm. There is one specific nutrient that is of concern, and it's a very like the most minor concern ever. Honestly, I'm not even worried about it. You just need to know it exists, mm-hmm. which is vitamin B12. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that vitamin B12, if you they've actually studied a population of omnivores, so people who are consuming meat. And 39% of them are either B12 deficient or borderline B12 deficient. There's a very compelling argument that everyone should be taking a B12 supplement. And many of the people who they, oh, I'm going to get my B12 from eating animal products. Like for example, beef, you have to understand the cow is being supplemented. Yes. So like, it's a weird thing because why would you be against taking one simple supplement that's so easy and then eat the beef that has many downsides in terms of your health and the cow is being supplemented anyway. Because the animals get it in their feed. They get it also even injected because what a lot of people don't understand that the vitamin B12 comes from microorganisms that thrive in healthy soil. Now, of course, animals that are raised and these big meat factories and aside from them living a horrendous life, if you can even call that, they don't eat the way nature has intended them to eat, which is why they need to get supplemented with the B12. And even animals that do are fortunate enough to live on grass and eat grass. Most of our topsoils are so depleted nowadays that these naturally occurring microorganisms are just not there anymore. So it's funny in a sense when people make fun of vegans, like, oh, you've got to take a supplement when in fact they're also taking the supplement via oh, the supplement. multiple supplements usually. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, multiple supplements, including all kinds of nasty stuff that you don't want in your system. That's the thing is that when the argument is, oh, you shouldn't have to take a B12 supplement, but then you're taking collagen and you're taking this and you're taking that. And it's Okay, come on. The reality is this, that any diet, we have to acknowledge we have limitations because we get our food from food systems. Mm. And this includes whether it be plant foods or animal products, we're getting food from food systems. And there are 8 billion people on the planet. And so there, there are limitations from nutrient, like a nutrient perspective mm. in terms of what those food systems are able to provide. And so B12, so easy to supplement. There are some other nutrients that regardless of whether you're vegan, plant-based, pescatarian, even a healthy version of an omnivorous diet, you're still going to be at risk for these nutrient deficiencies. It's not specific to veganism. Like omegas, for example? Like Mm omega-3s or magnesium or vitamin D, for example. Yes. So these are nutrients that it's quite common for people to supplement. And honestly, it's just not that big of a deal. So now the way that I personally see it is this, you want to eat for optimal health. Right. And again, my expectation is meet you where you are and what does progress look like? So to me, a plant-based diet is ultimately where you want to be. And to define my version of what a plant-based diet is, because sometimes you'll hear these terms kicked around and some people may mean different things. So let me just be completely clear on my end. A plant-based diet is where I'm referring to the consumption of whole plant foods that come from fruits and vegetables, whole grain seeds, nuts, and legumes. Now, it 
to me, these are foods that like you either get them at a, at produce section or they're things that you could create in your own home if you had a limited number of tools. It's not stuff that like you need a food scientist to create. And so now that's what like plant-based is. And from my perspective, predominantly plant-based are people who are 60, 70, 80, 90, 100% of calories coming from plants. Mm -hmm. If we said plant exclusive, that would mean whole food, plant-based and vegan at the same time. Okay. Now this is a process. I was not, I didn't go from 10% or 5% plant-based to hundred percent plant-based all at once. I moved the needle. And so you're going to be on this journey and wherever you're on the, you are on the journey. I want you to feel good about yourself. If you are increasing the plants in your diet, because what that means is again, you are having progress. You are moving in the right direction. When a person gets to a certain level, there is an ethical motivation that starts to kick in. And this happens to a lot of people and it happens to me. And I don't want people to feel this pressure up front, but I do want them to know that this exists. There are ethical considerations that are out there in terms of how we eat. The way that you eat does affect the environment. The way that you eat does affect the animals. And you can make the choice to make it where you are minimizing the effect that you personally have on those two things, the environment and the animals, there will always be some impact. Yes. And something else to consider is the impact on social justice. So when we're concerned about the well-being of human beings all over this beautiful planet that we're so privileged to live on, then our food choices matter. Do we buy foods that are based on having huge monocultures, soy or corn, that basically rainforest is eradicated for so they can get fed to animals and then these animals get fed to us. That's just one, one component of the social justice issue that is linked to the choices we make. What lands on our plates affects the welfare of human beings all across this world. Yeah, that's true. Because part of the problem that we have is that we are putting a strain on food systems to produce. And so we are 8 billion people today. Now, as a frame of reference, in 1900, we were 2 billion. Mm -hmm. So we have quadrupled our world population in the last 122 years. We were 1 billion in 1800. And we are expected to be 11 billion by 2050. That's a lot of resource consumption. And unfortunately, there are people who starve and you may not necessarily see it here, although obviously there are differences that exist even within the United States, but in terms of access and things like that, but there are people that live on this planet that they're impoverished to the point that they are starving. And unfortunately, when we have a strain on the system, the, the fallout is that it negatively affects these people. So for example, the things that are happening in the Ukraine right now are putting a strain on the food system. And the impact in the US is inflation, yeah. but the impact in a third world country is starvation. And so these are, uh, these, I think that these are things that they exist. And I don't, I personally come from the perspective of I'm a medical doctor, so I'm here to talk about health. But I do think that it's important for people to actually spend a moment to think about it for yourself. 
I think it's a worthy thing to just spend a moment and think about where you stand on these issues. And any sort of motivation to protect these precious commodities and resources, the environment and the animals and human lives, um, any sort of motivation in that direction, I applaud and love. And to me, I, I just want to be upfront about this. The one thing that I really take issue with, because I'm a pretty nice guy and I don't pick and fights with people, but the one thing that I really take issue with is people that are holier than thou. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. And because that's not inclusive, that's not welcoming. So for me, part of what I want to create is I want to create a bridge that motivates and excites people to come and join the party. And as they come and join the party, we can put our arms around one another and we can walk the same path and we can all find what works best for us. I love that you said that, Dr. B. It's also my own philosophy. I have found that it works much better to be for something instead of being against something or someone, and that it's better for all of us when we extend a hand instead of pointing fingers. I totally agree. I, I think it's important for people to focus on themselves. And I do think that there's a place for the conversation and to bring attention to these issues so that they're not completely overlooked. Yes. But not in a way that is directly attacking an individual person where they feel like they're being judged. I don't think that's the right way to do it. Absolutely. For me, changing my diet, which has also massively shifted my worldview, the way I see myself within the context of the world, how I can serve the world has really drastically changed with changing what I put on my plate. So that is one of the fundamental practices of my life that have helped optimize and level up everything. And I understand that's also something that has really shifted your life in such an amazing way. And you're extending this now to all the people that are blessed to work with you. Are there any other practices that you could share with us that have elevated you mentally, physically, or spiritually? First of all, I am an imperfect person who struggles with the same issues that other people struggle with. So I am not this the this slice of perfection that you read about in my books or that you see on Instagram. I do the best that I can. I work really hard. I have three kids. I care deeply about my family and I'm constantly struggling to balance all of these things in my life. Mm -hmm. So part of what has been really important for me, I think you have to know and find yourself. Mm -hmm. And it gets back to a little bit of speaking to the personalized nature of who we are. I was mentioning it before with Zoe and food, but I think this is more than food. This is who are you as a person and what makes you tick? And for me, I, first of all, I work best when I am aligned with my passion and my purpose. Many people will comment on the passion that I bring to my work. And that's because I'm doing exactly what I feel that I'm supposed to be doing. And that has been a blessing for me to find that because what I'm doing, we go back to 10 years ago. I mentioned that when I felt that I was cursed, that I really was being blessed. Mm -hmm. I would have never been doing this without that. It opened the door for me. But beyond this, for example, exercise is a very important part of maintaining my focus mm -hmm. and reducing my stress and being able to absorb everything that's going on in my life. So I try to get in my exercise whenever I can and break a sweat. And then the other thing is making time for my family. 
So I, it's so easy for me to slide into getting overwhelmed with work. It's so easy. There's always more work. You have to put your foot down for what you care about. And so that's one of the things for me that I put my foot down on is that's a non-negotiable. There may be times where I'm more busy, but the bottom line is I need to have time for my family because my kids are growing up and I don't want to see them walk out of this house without them really feeling super connected to their dad. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. B. And for people who would like to connect with you, learn more about your practice, how can they do So I have the two books that you mentioned earlier. I think the beauty of books is that I literally spent a year on each one of those books. And so in, in a weekend, you could consume something that I like. put all of my education and effort for an entire year into. And so my first book is called Fiber Fueled. And my second book is the Fiber Fueled's Cookbook. By the way, the Fiber Fields Cookbook is much more than a cookbook. It's it's actually a protocol for people to have food intolerances or digestive health issues. My website is theplantfedgut.com. I have an email list that people seem to really enjoy. When there's breaking news research, I will share it there because I can then really explore and unpack it. And you can find me on social media, on Instagram and Facebook as the Gut Health MD. And I'm on TikTok now. Uh, <laughs> Great. I have 18 followers. And 19. 19. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> My screen name on TikTok is the gut health MD underscore because uh-huh. someone apparently wanted to block me from getting my own name in TikTok. <laughs> so there I am. Excellent. Dr. V, thank you so much for spending time with us and talking about the stuff, the S H I T that really matters. And that is profoundly important to our all over well-being. It was a real pleasure to talk to you and learn from you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. 